You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel oh, up so to fun. up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear, with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name's Jamie Loftus. And my name's Caitlin Durante. And this is our podcast about the portrayal of women in movies. Insert air horns. We use the Bechdel test yeah. as a do. Oh. way. Oh, sorry, oh. it sounded like I was surprised. Oh. We, oh. Do. Oh. we do. We do. We do. We do. The Bechdel test, if you're not familiar, is a test that requires that a movie has two female identifying characters. Mm-hmm. They have to have names. Mm-hmm. They have to speak to each other. And they cannot be talking about men. Hey, uh, can we beta test it really quick? Let's do it. Okay. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Jamie. You were really good at soccer this morning. (gasps) Thank you so much for coming to my game. You're welcome. 
wholesome <laughs> doesn't have to be funny can be very wholesome yeah just very sincere um yeah jamie you came to my game and i really appreciate i just need it. everyone to know, <laughs> to know. <laughs> what a good great. and supportive friend you are yeah it's really more about me than it is about mm-hmm. you no you were it was great it was fun yeah thank and you and it's the back task because it's an all women's it's team. an all women's league wow so yeah my soccer games always pass the Bechdel test every game <laughs> and the, except when you start screaming about the, the takedown of the patriarchy in the middle uh, during Ooh. the halftime show right. which is great well sometimes we do yell at the usually male ref so ref. I guess those don't pass but most of our conversations are about soccer so yeah. we use that test the Bechdel test as a jumping off point to initiate larger conversations about the general representation and portrayal of women in cinema mm-hmm and we are here to talk about a movie, a popular request. I'm so Still excited. in theaters. Yes. Uh, we're talking about Crazy Rich Asians. Woo. And with us, we've got two guests. Super episode. Ooh, super. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, our f- first guest, new to the pod, uh, she's a TV writer, a comedian, Sita Shang. And we have a returning guest, a friend of the cast. You may remember her from our Transformers episode. Friend of the Hey Sluts What's Up Network. Hell yeah. And she hosts her own podcast called You Can Tell Me Anything. Teresa Lee. Hi. Both of you guys have been on. It's true. We're so excited to have you here. Which one of us is the crazy and which one of us is the rich? I mean, we have to draw straws. (laughs) I just want to be the Asian. (laughs) So... Teresa, we'll start with you. What's your history with this? Oh, I read the book when mm-hmm. it came out. It's a good read. It's like a, you know, a beach read, mm-hmm. a, a, a summer romp, if you will. Uh, and I obviously identify with the main character because she's from the Bay and then went to NYU. Oh, yeah. Uh, she and is, whoa. <laughs> is Taiwanese. Well, maybe not. If there's a sequel. Anyways, but she thinks she's Taiwanese. And so, yeah, I read the book. I remember when it came out, I read it, and I even I found a tweet from a long time ago where it's like, I hope they make a movie out of this, and Aww. I hope I'm in Hollywood when that happens. <laughs> but it didn't happen. Look at uh, you now. I didn't make it that far, so. <laughs> you were physically in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should have been more specific about my wish. Uh, so, yeah. But. Manifest more specifically. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And Sita, how about you? Uh, I think I read the book when it came out, too, because the title was, uh, you know, like, that was like clickbait before clickbait. But I really enjoyed it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, it was like, I read a lot of Joan Collins when I was a kid because I, mm-hmm. I just had bargain books in my uh, house all the time because <laughs> mm-hmm. my mom wouldn't buy me new books. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot of, like, 80s Joan Collins. And that's what Crazy Rich Asians reminds me of. Sure. Right? Like, super shoulder padded, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> extravagance. <laughs> uh, Jamie? I read the first book. I received the first book as a gift, and I read it on a couple different... It was just my plain book for a while. Mm. Liked the book. Thought it was like a a fun beach read that I happened to be reading on a plane. Sure. And then uh, saw the movie last week and really liked the movie. Yeah, we saw it together. We did! It was fun. Uh, I did not read... The book, but I did watch the movie three times in theaters. So that's basically over prepared. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, you beat me. I saw it twice. Okay, yeah. um, you beat both of us. Both of the Asians here. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I was adequately prepared, so I <laughs> saw it many, many times. So I'll do the recap. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the story focuses. Well, first we open on a scene where. Eleanor Young 
is trying to check into a hotel in London and a bunch of uh, white people are like, you don't belong here. Please go away. And she's like, actually, I'm buying this hotel. So fuck all y'all. So that sort of sets up the young family. Fun power um, move. Mm-hmm. You can get off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then we see Nick Young as a little boy um, in that scene. And I think he's with, is it Astrid? I think so. Um, oh, is that the, that's the, the little, little girl? girl. Is there, that yeah. makes sense. His, yeah, so his cousin. And then we cut to present day. We meet Rachel Chu. She is an econ professor at NYU. She is dating Nick Young, who is very hot and who is <laughs> very good at wearing pants. Um, at one and point, not wearing a shirt. Yes. He wears a lot of pants. <laughs> Fitted pants. He's just very fitted. He just knows how to wear a pair of pants. A tailored pair of pants. <laughs> I was like, were these made for your butt? It's wild. Like, well, I mean, he can afford it, so probably. Imagine being able to afford pants with your butt in mind. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Jamie, when we were watching this together, oh, yeah, you this. turned to me at a certain point in the movie. I'm pretty sure you had tears in your eyes, oh. and you said, Nick Young is just so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I was fully crying <laughs> at Nick Young being just too hot at one point that I just was sent over the edge and I began to cry. Yeah. <laughs> it was a worldwide casting for Nick Young's character. And apparently one of really? my friends told me that he was on one of those travel shows that shows on the back of airplane yeah, seats. Yeah, he was a host. <laughs> no way! Oh. He wasn't even an actor. No. He, he's never like done something like this. He, he was Whoa. just a host that was Whoa. very charismatic. And yeah. they were like, how about that guy? I'm, I honestly, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, he... I'm sure he did a great job acting, but I was just like, oh, like, I just was really overwhelmed. Um, I also, you know, I, I would say that the Mike's Hard Lemonade I brought to the theater with me probably contributed to sure. sending me over the edge in the first 20 minutes of the movie. But yeah, understandable. Yes. So Rachel and Nick are dating and Nick invites her to Singapore because um, his best friend Colin is getting married and he's the best man. So he's like, why don't we use this as an excuse for you to come and meet my family and you can visit your friend while you're there and it'll be a great time. And she's like, okay. So they go to, uh, they're like at the airport and she's like, I've got my Tupperware food. We're all good. And then <laughs> the airline people come up to them and they're like, uh, we'll get you in- checked into first class. And she's like, um, excuse me, what do you mean? And then they're like, here's some champagne. Here's an airplane bedroom. And she's like, wait a minute. Nick, yeah, um, are you thing? rich or something? <laughs> and he's like, IDK, I guess. And she's he like, oh, wait a that. minute. IDK he does might be a jail for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I mean, I, uh, uh, we're comfortable. He's like, dog, you are rich. <laughs> so she learns that he comes from an extremely wealthy family of like real estate moguls and like finance people and all this stuff. So she goes and meets his mom, Nick's mom, Eleanor. And Eleanor's like, this girl is not rich, so gross. <laughs> She's not crazy or rich. <laughs> so basically, this, the story revolves around Rachel trying to earn the respect and the blessing of Eleanor because it seems like she and Nick are on like the track for marriage. And because Rachel is Chinese American, she was raised in the U.S. and she just has sort of like She's a different an set ABC of values. Is what we call them. 
Oh, wait, what does that oh, stand for? American-born Chinese. Mm. Oh, they okay. used to call us when we went yeah. to Taiwan. Oh. Wow. <laughs> That's what Aquafina says in the movie, yeah, too. She yeah. says she, banana, which oh, is yeah, like banana. yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Got it. Okay. I've yeah. never heard that either. Okay. So because she just sort of has like a different set of values than like the young family, Eleanor's all like, she's not the right person. Like, she's not the one for you, Nick. Uh, but Nick is like enamored and in love with Rachel. Over the course of the story, you know, Rachel's like trying to like make Eleanor like her, basically. And Eleanor keeps being like, you will never be enough. And then finally, at the wedding that they've gone to Singapore for, mm-hmm. Eleanor has hired a private investigator and reveals some information about Rachel's mom's history that would have caused like a huge scandal where her mom uh, had an affair with another man who wasn't her husband, got pregnant with his baby and then left him in China and moved to the U.S. So that was like grounds for like basically dismissal for like Eleanor to be like, go away, never talk to us again. That part um, is, like, I feel like one of the most believable things, too, because, I mean, I'm sure American culture people hide things all the time, but especially in Chinese culture, I feel like there's just so many secrets, but there's secrets where it's, like, families will just be, like, so overbearing in one way, but then also so, like, oh, no, I just didn't tell you that your grandma died because it's the I decided it was best for you. <sighs> and so there's things like that mm-hmm. all the time. And, and so, like, the fact that the, all these families have these secrets, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly God. true. <laughs> so weird. Like, yeah. Because her and her mom have a good relationship. Yeah, she's just like lied right, her entire major. life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it's revealed that whenever Rachel like kind of confronts her mom about it, her mom's like, "Oh well, my husband was abusive, mm-hmm. and I left him because he was hurting me." Mm-hmm. But yeah, they have a really good relationship. So then Nick proposes to Rachel, and she he's like, "I will leave my family behind." Like you know, he's supposed to be next in line to run the young corporation. He's like, "I'll walk away from all of that. I just want to be with you." And then we cut immediately to a scene where she has invited Eleanor to play Mahjong with her. And she's like, I'm playing a losing hand. Either way, like, Nick either leaves his family and then, like, that's not good because he doesn't have a family. Or (laughs) he chooses his family and doesn't stay with me and then he will end up resenting you, his mom. So she basically rejects him, his marriage proposal, so that she's basically making the choice for him. And then that is the thing that that makes Eleanor be like, oh, my God, she is enough. She's strong and she's a fighter and she's good enough for me. So then she finally gives her blessing because then Nick reproposes with his mom's ring. Yeah, yeah, and we're all like, they like set it up so that was set up so well. I feel like, and I think the ring was great because the ring was the ring that Eleanor's husband Nick Young's dad had to create especially for her because the matriarch wouldn't give up her old ring. Right. So the ring is also like symbolic of like a marriage that wasn't approved by Mm -hmm. the families, Mm -hmm. and now it passed on to like another. And the idea that traditions can be malleable because now it's a tradition Mm because it's her his mom. But when it was created, it was because she wasn't allowed to continue the tradition. So mm-hmm. it's like, see, it's a new tradition. New yeah. tradition. Yeah. 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 Unapproved wives. <laughs> <laughs> the unapproved wives club. <laughs> um, so then she says yes this time. And then they go and have like an engagement party on a rooftop in Singapore. There's a few subplots where uh, Nick's cousin Astrid is dealing with her marriage to a guy named Michael. He was like also a commoner who marries into this rich family. A guy named Michael is always a red flag, (laughs) no matter what. (laughs) 
Um, so there's that subplot. And then we meet many of other Nick's families. And then um, we meet Paiklin, which is Aquafina's character and like her family. So we've got a whole cast of characters. But yeah, so that's the main storyline. There's also a lot of um, twin representation in this film I feel like nobody's talking about. Um, <laughs> there are three pairs of twins. Wait, at, really? At, that I recognize, or maybe more if I watch it again. So wait, Aquafina. Her sister's twins. Aquafina's sister's twins. Sister, that's what I mean. Yeah, her yeah. sister's Then twins. there's the adult gossipy twins that are mm. at the Bachelorette. Oh, that yeah. That they call the twins. And then there's the flower girls are also twins. And they couldn't be Aquafina's sisters because it wouldn't make sense. They weren't Aquafina's invited. Aquafina's sisters right. would be there. Because they wouldn't know them. So there's wow. at least three pairs of Asian girl twins, which I feel like Whoa. is like a big win for me because <laughs> <laughs> I am an Asian girl twin. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was a flower girl in a wedding in Malaysia. But the rehearsal what? was in Singapore. So it's like, it's basically a story of my life. Yeah. I bet, like, Asian girl twins are hot commodity during (laughs) wedding season. They're just like, look at the pair of cuties walking down the aisle. Yeah, we crushed it. (laughs) Full twin season. It's, well, I mean, Gemini season in the spring anyway, so. Are twins especially lucky? No, I think they're unlucky, (laughs) especially because they're girls. Uh, Um, I guess I just want to start by saying that I mean, this movie is a box office hit right now. It's what everyone's talking about. Second weekend number one. Mm-hmm. It's like a genuine blockbuster. I feel yeah. like it's mm-hmm. like a rom-com, but also like it's funny and it's tight. It feels like a blockbuster. Yeah, yeah it's cool. a it's a solid flick. Uh, and we've... <laughs> a solid, a solid flick. Caitlin Durante, 2018. Oh, you know. <laughs> My mom saw it with her former colleague there were airline ladies what are they flight attendants together <laughs> in uh, in taiwan and they're still friends and she came to visit her from taiwan and oh. they went and watched it and i was like that's so that's cute so awesome her friend is kind of like a crazy rich asian though oh really like, oh, so wow. i think she liked she's not this crazy rich but she's very like she's more like an educated rich asian okay. rich enough to be like, <laughs> like can relate yeah i think she's into it wow cool cool all right, let's take a quick break and then we will come back to discuss crazy rich asians I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal, with more entrepreneurs, more trailblazers, more live events, more Martha, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. 
Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Dr. Elisa Pressman about the five basic strategies to help parents raise good humans. Florence Fabricant about the authenticity in the world of food writing. Be sure to tune in to season two of the Martha Stewart podcast. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And we're back. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome. We're here. We're here. We're, uh, it's Sunday. We're literally a brunch club right now. Yes. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I read that a lot of like Asian immigrant people and parents, mm-hmm. ones who normally never go to the movies, are seeing this movie because they're seeing themselves represented for like yeah. the first time in a very this is the first American movie that's an all Asian cast since I think Joy Luck Club. Yeah. Like twenty five years ago. I mean, it's funny, too, because it's like, even if you don't, because a lot of the criticism before the movie came out was that it's not relatable because it's about crazy rich people. But I think it's like, I mean, like, when we watch superhero movies, it's like, uh, is that relatable? Right. (laughs) So I think that's a dumb thing, because it's like, I don't know, we got to start somewhere. Like, do you really want to watch a movie about people doing nothing, uh, sitting around, getting high? I I mean, maybe, actually, that's like Harold and Kumar. (laughs) Also, by the way, Harold and Kumar is also leading Asian cast, and people keep forgetting that that. That's because true. people it's built as a stoner movie, yeah. not an Asian movie. Right, but, but um, I guess that wasn't a major studio movie. I Maybe feel like it, it did really well. It, Everybody yeah. talked about there's it. There's also it's there's a lot of white people in the it so is. it's not like uh, an entirely Asian cast, right, right. cast like. But the leads are Asian, mm-hmm. so more leads should have been Asian after that. But everybody seemed to forget that that did well. But um, <laughs> that was mainly a boon for White Castle. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, white is in the name. Yeah. This is a white movie. <laughs> That's the only way they could get the movie to made. It's like put something white in this title to trick the audience. Did you guys know that there was a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas? Yeah, I I think I've seen it because it was on TV one year. Whoa! Without the 3D glasses, you saw it? Yeah, (laughs) they showed it. There was something about a Christmas tree. That's why I think that's what that was. Oh yeah, yeah. Whoa. Well, either way, we've we've come a long way from like mickey rooney's character in breakfast at tiffany's mm-hmm. from like the long, long duck dong in mm-hmm. 16 candles even from like scott pilgrim where like knives chow mm-hmm. so much like tone deaf stuff is said about that character yeah so i mean we're still a far cry from what it should be representation wise for nearly yeah. everybody well mm-hmm. we're interested in like what, what your thoughts on that yeah are. 
Well, I actually think because for me, it's not representation isn't just I mean, half of it is visual because, of course, the more Asian people we see, the more we'll realize like, oh, OK, like we can be in movies. But I also really like that the story itself is representative because it's just like the uh, someone I saw it with said this. Well, it's like it's just it's funny because the jokes are new because it's a new point of view. Mm -hmm. So that like does well for everyone. It's not something we've heard before, mm -hmm. but it's not explicitly an Asian movie. Like the story about family and about tradition isn't explicitly Asian. It's very tied to Asian culture. Mm -hmm. So that I think obviously we relate to it more, but um, anybody can watch it and not think like, oh, this isn't for me because everybody totally. has a mom. Like that, <laughs> I think we can all relate to it. So I, I really like that it's representative in um, the story itself, just like the point of view. For sure. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about this because my boyfriends are watching the Godfather trilogy over again, mm -hmm. and watching that movie over again, which is probably like the most famous movie mm -hmm. in America. <laughs> you realize that like the Godfather trilogy is an immigrant story. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's really American, but it's also about an immigrant story. So I was thinking about that in context of Crazy Rich Asians, and I was like, oh, this is an immigrant story. It's like uh, finding your identity, making a new life for yourself, all, all those things that are kind of what being American is all about. Mm -hmm. So. So that, to me, was really relatable. I actually bought tickets uh, for my parents to go see it. And my mom was like, this is good, but... <laughs> so Asian. <laughs> what were her notes? Her, her notes? This is very... Uh, also just more about my mom than anything yeah. else. Her notes were that it was too loud. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. She was like, it's too loud. Uh, it's funny, like, moms don't realize... I don't know if my mom recognizes herself in Eleanor Young. Like, she's yeah. not that strict, but, like... Like, it's funny because I don't think people recognize themselves in it, you know? Yeah, and I and my mom's point about their wealth was also really funny, too. She was just like, oh, it was so over the top. It was so extravagant. Like, nobody lives like that. And I was like, well, that's the point of the movie, mom. It's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the title. Um, but I think, I think a lot of the criticism leveled at the movie. I mean, I enjoyed it. I sort of see the shortcomings, like, but... I think it's because there's not enough of this kind of movie. There's mm -hmm. not enough movies where there's like a majority Asian cast. There's not mm -hmm. enough movies kind of with an Asian-centered story. Mm -hmm. If you have like a, a variety, like a body of work to choose from, like we've been able to name like five movies made over like the last 40 years, which is like not a body of work. That's right. like five movies. Right. So if you had a body of work to actually critique against, then, then it would be interesting. Right now we're just like picking. like Right. Like <laughs> if yeah. there were like more stories about Asian people who are middle class. Yeah. Yeah, and then you could be like, okay, well, then, like, Crazy Rich Asians, like, yeah, that's a lifestyle that most people don't lead, but, like, there are many other examples of Asian stories, but there, the problem is, is there aren't many other yeah. examples. I even think as a rom-com, it's diverse in the storytelling because most rom-coms will have a meet-cute, but this starts mm -hmm. in a point of the relationship when it's healthy, nothing is going wrong. Right. They do introduce this mom, and it's like there's some lies that have been told, but, like, you know, every relationship has its bumps, and then they deal with it, and it still feels cohesive, and there's an arc. And usually, I feel like rom-coms aren't like that. Right. And mm -hmm. it doesn't end in their wedding. So it's, it, it feels like a realistic sort of sliver of their life where it's like this is a thing they had to get through. They got through it. I feel a resolution. Right. The main, the arc of the story has to do with the relationship between Rachel and Eleanor, not yeah. really Rachel and Nick. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's more about, like, a class struggle, a generation gap kind of thing, a, like, American-Asian person versus an Asian person from Asia. Like, it's... Right. So, yeah, it's, like, those are the themes of the movie, and Her it's their story. Her about, like, Americans caring about passion, like, got to me so much. <laughs> I was just like... 
oh, why am I doing comedy? Like, <laughs> I've let my people down. Like, just what am I doing? There's this big, it's it's very much East versus West, you yeah. know? It's individualism mm-hmm. versus collectivism. And Eleanor is on the side of collectivism because she'll do anything. But she's not. See, that's also why I feel like it's a diverse uh, angle because I don't think any mm-hmm. side is really portrayed as, like, the right side in mm-hmm. this. Rachel's not really portrayed wholly right. She's a little selfish. But Eleanor's... She says she's all about the collective, but look at her house. I mean, like, <laughs> she's not, I don't right. think handing out family. food to the <laughs> yeah. poor people. Like, I don't think she cares about her country, but, like, does she? I mean, like, they're starving people. She cares about right. her family, and yeah. that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, so it's yeah. like everybody's kind of selfish. Mm-hmm. The unit is the family, which is a larger unit than the self, which is, like, uh, until kind the of, fam- yeah. Until there's a black sheep in the family, and then you cut that person out, and then they're not in your family, so your family can be perfect. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a very Asian thing to do. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, the character of Oliver yep. says that he's like the rainbow sheep of the family oh, because yeah. <laughs> he's like the one like out queer person. Yeah. But they, it seems like he still has good enough relationships with like all of his like aunties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious your guys' thoughts too, because I do feel like obviously so much is tied to Chinese culture, but it's all those like themes of just like, your, you know, the filial piety is really tied to Chinese culture. But also I feel like people outside can follow along. Were there things that... You, to you or felt so new that was like oh that's something that like I don't understand or like that doesn't click or did it all like feel like yeah this all makes sense I can track to me it all tracked there were certainly things that like I hadn't experienced firsthand in my family setting or anything like that because like I'm like German and Italian but like so far removed from those cultures that I really feel like I was brought up to be like cultureless somehow uh-huh. like I didn't have like an Italian grandma like cooking us big Italian dinners or anything like they're just like really just like the most boring <laughs> flat American experience Casserole, you can have white bread <laughs> exactly <laughs> mayonnaise Ham- hamburger helper like so like yeah don't knock hamburger <laughs> <laughs> so nothing was so unfamiliar to me that I was like what I don't this doesn't make sense or this doesn't track but um it was certainly experiences that I have not had but that's why it's so important to have movies like this where, you know, people like me and I would say a large portion of white America mm-hmm. can, like, see these stories and see these cultures represented and say, like, wow, this is different from my own. And and it's, you know, delivered to us respectfully and in a way where, you know, we can learn about a different culture. Yeah, I feel like it did a good job of being critical with that. Like, it, it was authentic so that I... Because like I'm critical of my own culture, as we all should be of everything, right? Because sure. no, nothing's perfect, and that's how we get better. So I feel like it did a good job of being critical without feeling like it was like exotifying anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel like it was like white gazy, like oh look how weird they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it was like criticizing from within, but also understanding where they're coming from. Like the table scene when they're making the dumplings, that was I really like that scene because yeah. you see the generations and the kids joking. Even, like, Astrid, who understands because she grew up there, makes a joke about, like, oh, like, they don't guilt their kids. Right. And it's like, oh, you see how there are flaws. I don't think we should just be, like, Asian people on TV. They're perfect. Because they're not. Like, we've got a lot of issues. We believe in ghosts. Like, all this shit. It's like, what's going on over there? Well, we can't but, have it in TV. Yeah. There's, it's censorship. Like, yeah, depression's not real. But, um, <laughs> Mental but, illness is an issue. Sexism is such a problem right. in Asia like that's why there's so many girls that are left in orphanages mm, uh, yeah. because you know the the sons are favored so that it's not kind of talked about in the movie but there's a reason why Henry Golding's character is so important because he's the mm-hmm. son yeah yeah 
Like, mm-hmm. they didn't have a daughter that was taking over the young corporation. Right. It was the son, which, yeah. like, is, like, a big deal. I think you're, the movie makes it so that we're able to be critical of mm-hmm. it without feeling like we're, like, antagonizing or, like, vilifying a whole culture because it's very well-rounded in its criticism, mm-hmm. Yeah, the way I feel. I, I felt like if the most of the stuff that I just was like, oh, that's not something I'm familiar with or, or fully understand were specifics inside of a larger narrative that you know, free, mm-hmm. is a rom-com, which right. seems really smart. And like, yeah, a, what's a, love? I didn't get that. <laughs> like, I didn't wait, understand kissing that. kissing and no. also sex? <laughs> I'm a virgin, me don't understand. Uh, but no, it was like, I don't know. I mean, in terms of presenting a movie with a culture that the majority of the audience won't be familiar with, I feel like it was like, it's so smart to put it in a construct that mm-hmm. everyone's going to understand. Everyone, whether they like it or not, have seen a rom-com and yeah. understands the general conventions, for better or worse, of a rom-com. And, and seeing things I didn't fully understand plugged into a larger structure that I definitely understand was cool and like made it easier for me on first viewing it at least to to be like oh okay here are the things that I didn't completely understand or that was just new to me and now I can just go and try to learn about those things and figure out what their context were in this kind of not entirely familiar story but like a, a romantic comedy that wasn't like wait what's happening you know yeah <laughs> well like the, the unfamiliar stuff I'm curious well, like the the mahjong scene, mm, where yeah. I was like, they are playing a game that I have no idea how to play. And I read an article after I saw the movie that explains like there's a very important like significance to like Rachel's hand, mm-hmm. yeah. where she like gives up a specific tile, and it's symbolic of like her basically giving up her relationship mm-hmm. with Nick. So that there's like all that symbolism there. I wasn't allowed to play mahjong because my uh, mom's dad like gambled away their house when they were little, and he was a big gambler. So I was not allowed to play, mm. and so I've never understood how to play. I just associate it with like the amas in the like smoky room, uh-huh. and I'm not allowed to go in. Like I understood what it culturally meant, but I didn't know the tiles. But I thought they did such a great job setting up the first scene about game theory because mm-hmm. when they yeah. map it back yep. and it's like the Chinese version, you instantly know what's gonna happen because they've set it up already with poker which you you do understand exactly yeah. yeah exactly like here's something american audiences will definitely know and then here is like something that you probably haven't seen or understand but you there's some context for it and it makes it i don't know like it, it does make it accessible for someone who's not familiar with chinese culture at all because um, even if you don't know the game what's happening in the scene is still like rachel is basically sacrificing her own happiness because mm-hmm. she loves Nick so much to be like, I'm giving him up for you, Eleanor. Like, And then luckily that's the catalyst that makes Eleanor see yeah. that she's cool And it's played out all. in the game dynamic as well, right. Right. which was just really good writing mm-hmm. on like two different levels. She's playing yeah. not to lose. Yes. Yeah. But um, I think the fact that this movie, it's representation that we don't normally see. It's, it's you know, respectful. we don't normally see. Yeah, yeah that's American movie. Like, I just truly did not know that much about Singapore as a city at all. So a lot of those, like, images and, you know, even establishing shots, I'm like, oh, whoa, this is, like, just not a city I see very frequently in my day-to-day mm-hmm. media consumption. Right. I was going to say bullshit because everything I do is bullshit. Wait, Singapore, <laughs> it's a... Is it a, a city and a country? I believe so. It's a it governs itself. Yeah. yeah. It's like a sovereign mm-hmm. state. So it's like a city state. It's kind of like Hong Kong where mm-hmm. it's like its own sovereign. I see. Okay. Got it. State. Yeah. Got it. 
Yeah. Sovereign city state. Thank you, super producer Sophie. So basically the fact that we see this representation, it's handled responsibly, that I think is largely due to the fact that it's directed by an Asian man. Mm-hmm. It's uh, co-written by what, a white guy and, <laughs> an, and an Asian woman. It's based on a book by an Asian guy. So mm-hmm. it's it's stories by this community and about this community. So when that happens, as we see in many of the movies that we've covered, where, you know, if it's Michael Bay trying to, like, <laughs> depict anything, he does it terribly. Michael Bay but is crazy rich Asians. <laughs> crazy <Yeah>. exploding Asians. <laughs> right. Remember once, was there a geisha in this movie? Right. And she was a robot. <laughs> but, you know, if it's, like, Ryan Coogler directing mm-hmm. Black Panther, or if it's uh, John Chu directing Crazy Rich Asians, like, it's, that is why we have just the the stories and the characters and everything depicted in much more positive ways than we're used to seeing those types of characters on screen. And it's also just like a really well-written movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think the thing with having like Asians do this particular movie, I'm not saying like all Asian movies have to be made by Asians, but there are particular things that they pay attention to, I think, that help the process along and makes it feel more authentic. Because I think through like the Hollywood development machine, you just, you get scripts that are very broad. Mm -hmm. And so there's just things in the movie where you're like, oh, I get it. This is like what being Asian is like. And I think John M. Chu and especially Adelaide Lim, who is a Malaysian Mm -hmm. born screenwriter, like she's very adjacent to Singapore which is also very different from China China it's like it's an it's the island parts Mm -hmm. of Asia which have their own culture and their own way of doing things too Mm -hmm. so I think that specificity really helped them pull it together yeah for sure Uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out and I'm interested in sort of everyone's takes on this but um the like older men who could be in the story basically like the patriarchs Mm -hmm. are largely absent from it because we do not ever meet nick's dad Mm -hmm. we get to know nick's mom a lot at work Mm -hmm. he's like off on business right yeah we meet ama but nick's grandfather has passed away so we never know him but we get to know ama we spend a lot of time with like Nick's aunties, mm-hmm. but we never meet any of the uncles, I don't think. I feel like this is kind of accurate because I think it's very much like the home life is matriarchal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't grow up in Singapore, so I don't know how accurate that is. But I feel like in Taiwan culture, it's like it is very much around the like ama, like in the house. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's like, doesn't mean it's necessarily elevating women. It's just like the home is their place. Right. Like, so it's like kind of a double-edged sword because they do run shit, but also it's like they run shit at home. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know, because even like my great aunt, she's like the first female architect in Taiwan. And so she worked. So it's not like she's home because she didn't work. But like at home, it's like everything is about her. So I mm-hmm. think there's like this more emphasis on the woman at home for sure in Chinese culture. Got it. Frankly, um, I found it refreshing not to have a patriarchal oh, yeah, yeah, around. Nice. Like we, didn't um, need, we didn't need a d- man. Yeah. <laughs> and then Eleanor also met her husband at Cambridge. Like they yeah. were college friends. So she mm-hmm. gave up like a promising law career to right. support her husband. So I think that also means, I guess, in the subtext is that she was so smart and brilliant that she was able to help her husband grow her business, which was the acceptable gendered role at mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that without, you know, her backing him, maybe like the young empire would not have been as successful as it was. Right. That kind of seems like the implication. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it's interesting because um, I did notice that too. And I think it felt for me that felt more authentic, um, not having the grandpa around or the, the dads around. 
but also because it's a story about the mom and the daughter. Mm-hmm. And I think even though that's universal, specifically within Asian culture, like the in-law relationship is also very unique because mm-hmm. there is always like a lot of conflict with that, especially because oftentimes they end up living with you. Right. And so then it's yeah. like the two women of the house and the son. And that's like a common living situation. So even in circumstances where it's not like a huge difference in like socioeconomic class and mm-hmm. stuff like that is there still like kind of like a lot of tension in a lot of those uh, scenarios yeah i think so Always. i mean my mom doesn't get along with my dad's mom mm-hmm. and i see it a lot in other places too yeah. well, i feel like the, the in-law thing that is like a universal, universal. thing yeah. <laughs> yeah. i don't think yeah. they always have to live with you but there's kind right. of an expectation if you're the oldest son like your mom will live with you as mm-hmm. you get older mm-hmm. got it and so there's a like you're taking on caring for someone that's not your mom and maybe resenting a little bit because you can't like you can't take on your mom right because it's not right to do that because you're actually in chinese like we differentiate like your grandma on your mom's side is called Wai Pu, mm-hmm. and Wai means outsider so within the word you're if you're a woman you're considered an outsider of your own family Whoa. so if you marry a man you're always going to be referred to as outsider within your family mm-hmm. even by your kids I mean, not your kids but like your kids kids mm-hmm. call you like outside grandma so there is like this embedded um idea that like the woman side of the family you're an outsider and so that's why there's so i think there's so much tension because like let's say you have to take care of your husband's mom and then meanwhile you're you're treated like an outsider you're never going to be part of the family and you can't even treat your mom because you've married Mm -hmm. out of your family so now you're not you've left your family to take care of another family yeah Uh and eleanor does that especially by handing nick over for the ama to raise Mm because she knows that she's the outside person so she essentially she gives her son up Mm -hmm. to the family and so that that's also an interesting thing too because that means like the powers kind of like pass between the women and the generations like Mm -hmm. the ama is the one who's going to determine the favorite of the next in line and when when the grandfather is gone so that's also like a cool thing that they did in the movie i liked it yeah 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 that's all very fascinating (laughs) that's attention yeah a question I had, and uh, when we were briefly having technical difficulties, we were discussing it a little more, is the various accents oh, in yeah. this mm-hmm. movie. Oh, Could we talk, because I genuinely just yeah. have no context for any. I was like, okay, some people have British <laughs> accents, and then, and then, and, and oh, so. <laughs> I think a lot of people who uh, learn British English, or the Queen's English, because right. it, uh, Singapore was mm-hmm. like a colony, mm-hmm. at some point maybe. Yeah. But the accents, I thought you were talking about the Chinese accents. So many yes. of the Chinese accents are so bad. Like, Nick Young's Chinese, a Mandarin is horrendous, and <laughs> uh, Rachel's is pretty bad, but that's okay. That's normal for an ABC. <laughs> but um, I think the grandma had the best, I think she's Taiwanese. She sounded Taiwanese, the yeah. way she spoke Mandarin. Which they're not Taiwanese, but a lot of, I don't know, that's how, what I'm used to. But the grandma's from Joy Luck Club. Oh, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But so much of the Mandarin was just bad. And I yeah. was like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Asian accents, like the Singaporean accents, like very specific too. And mm-hmm. not a lot of the actors had like the Singaporean accent because mm-hmm. it was like a really international cast. You know, Ronnie's Australian. Right. Aquafina's from Queens, you know. <laughs> and Nico Santos <laughs> is from like here, I think, right? I yeah. think he's yeah. the Bay Area. He's, yeah, he's a Bay Area yeah. guy. <laughs> And then Jimmy O. Yang's also, you know, just crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in like literally every single movie right now, too. He's also in the Melissa McCarthy puppet movie. Is he? Did you know? <laughs> yes. That's so funny. Well, I Lots will of say, peaks like, and valleys for Jimmy O. Yang past couple of weeks. <laughs> if you watch um, Chinese soaps, whenever they have like a white character, she's usually like very caricature, like blonde girl or whatever. And she's usually mm-hmm. some sort of like either like hot model or like evil girl. It's like <laughs> she's either like really great or really bad. 
that. But usually their accents are bad too. So it goes both ways. I think they're just like, well, people here don't speak English. It's usually like a Eastern European person because it's closer maybe. Right. I don't know. Whoever's available in Taiwan, Hollywood. <laughs> but it'll be like, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> and you're like that's not an American but they'll be like she just flew in from New York <laughs> no she did not <laughs> so I mean I'm more forgiving I guess because they do it there too and whatever <laughs> yeah accents in all Hollywood movies I mean even like American dialect accents in Hollywood movies can be very like you're supposed to be from where? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time there's a Boston accent in a movie, I just get furious and my head spins. <laughs> you know who has like, a good... Um, Charlie from Stranger Things is British, but I feel like his... I didn't yes. notice when I watched I Stranger Things. Hmm. I did know he was arrested for cocaine possession uh, at the airport. No. <laughs> he was a troubled young boy. Aww. Oh, no. Okay, we've got to take a break. We're going to go rescue <laughs> Charlie from Stranger Things. <laughs> from his coke pile. Yeah, we'll be right back. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal, with more entrepreneurs, more trailblazers, more live events, more Martha, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. Encore Jane, about creating a billion-dollar startup. Dr. Elisa Pressman, about the five basic strategies to help parents raise good humans. Florence Fabricant, about the authenticity in the world of food writing. Be sure to tune in to season two of the Martha Stewart podcast. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T. 
who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And we're back. Uh, Rachel, I mean, I love Rachel. <laughs> She's, uh, Constant Wu is amazing, but yeah. um, Rachel's character, I thought, especially for the rom-com genre, um, we've sort of touched on it already, but like kind of is a standout for like you were saying, Teresa, like we don't have that meet cute scene. Mm-hmm. It's like clearly portrayed that she has a career that makes sense, which never happens in rom coms. <laughs> right. It's always like she is art curator. Like I work for a magazine, a fashion magazine. <laughs> right. She's like, I own a bakery, but my house is huge. <laughs> like just so that like that trap is kind of like where she has this successful career. Uh, she's like the youngest faculty member at NYU. She's like mm-hmm. she's impressive. like so, yeah, very impressive. They go to great lengths to make you know that she is like smart, capable, etc. And and we have a very well fleshed out background for her as well, where we meet her mother we learn about like the interpersonal dynamics of her family we see do we see friends that are just her friends or is she mostly meeting just pick lynn i think yeah Yeah. right right i mean and and so it's i think especially for this genre she's like a well-written character that we know more about than we would know about the average rom-com lead Mm -hmm. Yeah, she has a lot of agency. And I like yeah. that her and Nick's relationship's very honest. Like, after the fish gutting, she just tells him. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, it was gross. <laughs> but uh, I feel like even, like, in real life, a lot of people would be like, well, I don't want to mention it because I don't want to give him the satisfaction. But it's like, no, you should tell, you should tell him. Yeah, like, right. And he is surprisingly unlike many, you know, male love interests in rom-coms. Like, he's not actively lying to her or actively <laughs> yeah. manipulating her well, or stopping her. lying to her he at the beginning. Lie. Well, he withholds information. That's Wait, big that's information. Lying. <laughs> that's yeah. lying. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, but not he's also to very committed, which is also right. something yes. that's really nice to see in a male love interest because I feel like a lot of rom-coms are like back and forth, back and forth. Who likes who more? And he's always like very steadfastly committed to Rachel. For sure. And that's hot. And, <laughs> and does something that men never do in movies in any genre, which is apologize when they do something wrong where it's like he is lying at the beginning of the movie but once she is like hey you're lying he's like yes I'm sorry and you're just like Mm-hmm. Oh, like I, it was. It's a, it sucks that it's such a relief to see that. But there's so many. I mean, we just did an episode on Ten Things I Hate About You, yeah. where like the lie lasts the whole movie, and then at the end, she asks for an apology, and Heath Ledger cuts her off by like making out with her. Oh, and so yeah. you know, men don't apologize in, yeah. in movies. So very it was rarely. Yeah. Nice to see uh, his mm-hmm. character. We in, also in the, don't know what he does for he's a living a in professor. the movie. Oh, in the book, he's a professor. But also yes. in the book, speaking of lying, so Amanda, his ex, is mentioned in the movie. But in the book, um, she is his ex, and he had a threesome with her and one of the other girls who was on the Ooh. bachelor trip. Yes, and So I they bring that. it up in the book, and and, uh, and it's like, that's why Rachel's so pissed. Cause she's like, you didn't, A, you didn't tell me that your ex was coming. B, you didn't tell me this childhood friend of yours that you mentioned was mm. the girl you had a threesome <laughs> with your ex. And they all want to marry you, so... <laughs> Yeah, they hate me. Yeah. She deserved a heads up about yeah. all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, we don't, in the book, uh, he's a professor, professor but yeah. in the movie, we don't even, we know, like, 
what Rachel does and that she's very good at her job. And then like Nick is just the guy that she's dating. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I liked Nick's character a lot, but there he, he, he does at certain points fall into the trappings of like man who withholds conversation <laughs> and then is like, whoops, mm. my B, you're already mad, you know, but he does apologize, which I don't even want to give him too much credit for it, but that never happens right. in movies. And so she makes nice him wait for it. Like, she is obviously yeah. heartbroken, but she didn't take it back him back right away. So I, I like that he apologizes yeah. and has to deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Has to work for it, mm-hmm. as should everyone. Right. Where, where are we going next? We've talked a lot about Eleanor, but is there yeah, are there sure. any thoughts on Eleanor that we haven't she's sort so of? She's so good. Mm-hmm. She's like in everything. Her. I feel like she's such yeah. a like a acclaimed actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that character was really well written. Just like even the idea of her having been treated that way and still doing it is very accurate. Like I, I tweeted something, my mom reads my Twitter, uh, just a joke about how like uh, my mom was really hard on me growing up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she saw it and then responded like, cause I told her, I was like, it's a joke. I don't think you're hard on me. Whatever. She might listen. <laughs> hey mom, what's up? Uh, anyways. But you know, I was like, obviously it's like a joke about having high expectations even though I know it's for the best and then she made a joke back and she was like oh well like I'm not like that but did you know my mom was like that and I was like but you are like that (laughs) but she said my grandma once my mom brought home like a test and she said she did the best out of 700 kids and then my grandma's answer was like why didn't you get 100 (laughs) percent yeah Uh, but I guess it's like the cycle like an Eleanor character kind of embodies that like she was treated that way but it didn't make her more sympathetic it made her actually harder because she in her mind she's like oh you have it easy I had it harder mm -hmm. but she's doing the same thing right if you kind of compare this movie to something like Meet the Parents, which has a, a similar premise in terms mm-hmm. of just like, you know, meeting your future in-laws kind of thing, in a standard like, you know, Hollywood garden variety rom-com like that, Robert De Niro's character is like pulling out all the stops to like make sure he's like sabotaging Ben Stiller and it's just like really goofy and like silly <laughs> in a lot of ways whereas like with Eleanor's character like She's very grounded, and it doesn't resort to these, like, really stupid, silly moments. I mean, it, I mean, there, maybe there's going to be a movie like that. But in this case, it's just like, yeah, like, you can see where she's coming from. Like, you can tell based on her background and her upbringing and her, like, just that cultural context. Like, even if we don't agree with her, we're still like, yes, this makes sense. Like, this, mm-hmm. this tracks for her character. And, yeah, she's developed... Really well, I think. I was thinking of another in-laws movie. I was like, which apparently is a subgenre of movie. <laughs> yeah, but did, did anyone ever see Monster in Law with Jay Love and Jane Fonda? <laughs> right, where that is such a like classically like woman on woman Haiti, and the reasons given are very vague, mm-hmm. and it's just like you just know by the poster that it's going to be Jane Fonda yelling at J Lo. Yeah for two hours and if you choose to see that then you choose to see that but and and so anytime there's like a future daughter-in-law mother-in-law or even just like any woman-on-woman conflict in a big movie you're like oh boy like this could fall into so many like tropes but like you were saying Caitlin like we've been talking about in general it's just like everything is so grounded yeah and we're given all the information we need to understand and both characters grow and have a better understanding of each other by the end and it is like 
oh, that is like a very well-managed conflict between women in movies yeah. where usually I feel like we're given almost nothing. Well, the yeah. two characters are written as the conflict is sort of central to how they understand themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes the conflict feel so grounded. It's not like like you were saying vague reasons, like I don't like your hair color. Like that's not, right. like, that's right. not a reason to fight or like the color of the wedding or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really how they see themselves in the world. And when that point of view clashes, that's when you get these really strong, you know, moments, but you also just understand what both of them are coming from. Yeah. Because right. speaking of like, I mean, bringing it back to like the Bechdel test, like, because even though they're fighting kind of over man, they're not quite because it's like they talk, even in that dumpling scene, they're talking about like career and tradition and like values. So indirectly, like Nick is wrapped up in that as an example of values, but like replace it with anything else. Like Rachel wants something that Eleanor has and their values are clashing. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's not really about the man. It's about yeah. like, what does Rachel value? Is it like her passion and happiness and love? And Eleanor is like, no, 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 you value hard work and building relationships and Sa- Sacrifice. Yeah, and sacrifice. And right. That's what love is. It's sacrifice. It's giving up what you want. So therefore you should give up what you want so I can have what I want. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of like what she's saying. Yeah. And, um, and so I don't think it really is about the man, even though indirectly he is. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. And like, Jamie, you were saying, like, oftentimes if there is an antagonistic female relationship, it's usually because, like, one woman will just hate another woman simply because she's a woman and she sees her as competition Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's if we see, like, a high school movie where there's, like, just, like, pettiness between two women, it's never really established why that is or, like, there's no background or context given as to, like, why two female characters might not like each other it's usually just like relying on you know the stereotype of you know hollywood being like hey you know how girls can't get along well here's a movie about it (laughs) (laughs) so to me even though this is largely a story about kind of what starts out as an antagonistic relationship between two women it's not what we usually see in movies it's like we said it's there's the context that explains why they are butting heads. Mm-hmm. It's more of a difference of like values than it really is like them, you know, fighting over a yeah. man, which is weird to say because one of them is his mom. <laughs> but like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it like I think it's handled much better than it normally is. It's like a double win too, because it's like you not only have a very well written female conflict, because there is like sometimes in the wide ways there are to criticize movies now and the different mediums to do sometimes i feel like it gets lost and i've i've definitely read is it gillian or jillian flynn is it gillian flynn i I thought it was jillian is it jillian i don't know for the purposes of this little soundbite it's jillian flynn uh but she wrote this great thing about like having female characters in conflict and how because it's never historically been written very well Mm -hmm. um there was sort of like this prevalent criticism that was like there just shouldn't we just shouldn't show women in conflict at all and it's like no you (laughs) can and should have women in (laughs) conflict that happens in the world all the time but just don't not give us any context for why it's happening and so seeing it effectively written and it's but it's grounded in who they are as people like it just i don't know Mm -hmm. it's great it's the some of the best scenes in the movie what do you guys think of araminta the girl getting married. Um, oh. Um, so think- <laughs> for her, for, for me, I think it's, she, I don't know if she's complicit in like <laughs> the really horrible treatment that like Rachel receives 
a la like Araminta's friends who like she's kind of put a, a fish in her bed, <laughs> right? Because she knows about this. Well, she, I feel like she's right. a good example of they, they try oh, to write. Right. She, yeah, I didn't she, think of like that. they write varieties mm. of um, types of rich people, and I feel like she's like almost like one. She's not the worst kind, but she's the kind where it's like they get off scot free because they're not actually being horrible. So in comparison, they're good, but they also are obviously turning blinders to other people who aren't privileged. Like they're the kind of people who are like, oh, poor people make me sad. Other people. <laughs> Like, how so cute they are. Exactly. Like, she's having a lot of every once in a while. Exactly. Yeah. Like, her extravagant party. And then she's like, I want to be cute to invite Rachel, but also, like, maybe funny, but I'll stay out of it. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Is like she, she the creates one who the says environment so- for the conflict to happen. Yeah. And then she's like, Conflict is happening? Oh, no. She's like, <laughs> not at my, my bachelorette party. Oh, no. Drama at the party. <laughs> I think she's kind of, ba- I don't know if she's actually based on Angela Baby, but do you guys know who Angela Baby is? No. Mm-hmm. She's like one of the most famous people in China. She's just like, she looks kind of like a, what a computer program yeah. version of a perfect Chinese person would look because she's mm-hmm. got so much plastic surgery. <laughs> but, she, but she's just like on everything. And her wedding was like three times Kim K's right. wedding or something. Uh, Whoa. Okay. I think she's in some big Hollywood movies where she has like very, yeah, not a lot of words. She's very she CG. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll put her in stuff yeah. to sell tickets. Got it. But she's like that. Like she had like four wedding dresses and like a carousel wedding cake and oof. Stuff yeah. like that. So. Yeah, Araminta's character was one of the few characters in this movie that, to me, like I saw it and registered as like, oh, that's a rom-com stock character that's mm. being used in this movie. Another one that I, I felt like was very, and I think Killing, we talked about this after the movie, Aquafina's brother and the, uh-huh. who's like it's funny because he's a pervert and he's <laughs> trying to take pictures of her naked. Like that is such a rom-com yeah. trope that mm-hmm. I was like alright I guess that's in yeah. the movie yeah. sure and it's always unchat like Aquafina <laughs> never she's <laughs> there noticing it happening and she's never like hey brother like stop that that's gross and creepy like no one challenges it and it's just that was like the one part of the movie I was like ew Wait, <laughs> when does he try to like, take a picture of her naked not naked but like oh, he's like, always when he's stalking oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like just the stalker narrative <laughs> in that character I thought it was funny though I thought it was because he was going to post it on social media but I guess that makes more sense that he just wanted it for his collection I thought uh, he was either like way, a famous person th- that's, that's what it seems like at first either way he's taking taking photos of her without her permission <laughs> over and over, yeah, over yeah. and over. And then there's a scene where she's like lying in bed with her mom and they're oh, having this like big heartfelt moment. And then like the button of that scene is like him oh, taking the pictures <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, you, how long have you been there? And he's right. like a short while. And they're like, tee hee hee. And it's like, no, he's invading <laughs> your like, privacy. The- and, and especially that coming is the button at the end of a really well done scene about abuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and here's this creepy boy taking huh. pics. I was like, <laughs> get out of here. Why are you? It was tonally really weird. It yeah, was weird. Yeah. Uh, I was like, who let, you know, they're like, hey, Judd Apatow, write the ending to this one scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just see what happens. Yeah. Write Ken Jong's character and that the end of that scene. Yeah. Right. Another yeah. super stock character I really liked yeah. was the film producer uh, and oh, his, oh. his trashy girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. This fun, comedic. Yeah. He's like producing a movie where like, his girlfriend is tied up and like a guy is like nearby like fighting and it's like what is this the end of Spider-Man 2 <laughs> from Melina mentioned <laughs> so uh, yeah Araminta just read to me as like yeah like this is like kind of a less written out rom-com character yeah she's a little plotty because everyone's going yeah. to her wedding too mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. right so she's kind of just serving only so much the story mm-hmm. um let's talk about Astrid Astrid, sure. Mm-hmm. She is the, I would say, 
other main female character with like kind of her own story arc. Yeah. And it's there partly to sort of like mirror what's happening mm-hmm. with Rachel and Nick because she is this like rich like charity organizer socialite Major like fashion icon vibe mm-hmm. at the beginning mm-hmm. yeah yeah but she's like Nick's like one relative that he's like really bonded with and like they're actually like friends and stuff like that and then she and Rachel kind of forge a friendship over the course of the movie but then so her main storyline is she discovers that her husband, who was, like, a military officer, I think, yeah, like that. Yeah, he's, like, but, a mm-hmm. captain in the yeah. army. Michael. Michael. <laughs> but, like, does not come from a wealthy family, so that was, like, cause for some controversy in, you know, the family where, like, he married into money. She married, like, a poor guy. Yeah, so for her... I have a lot of thoughts about her. Please. Ooh, hit it. <laughs> I don't feel like she's as innocent as she tries to act. Like, I think she's the kind of person who wants to be so perfect. She has done all the right things, went to the right school, whatever, looks beautiful. But I don't think she's like, like, I think she wants to be with a man of lower status, even though she would never say that to him. But because mm. she enjoys being high status and she enjoys being not wrong. So she, I think in her mind is like, Maybe I think in our mind she's like, he would never stray because look what he gets. Like, in, in no world would he ever get this, and I'm giving it to him. And so it hurts more when he strays. But then when he does stray, she can't be wrong because nobody will be like, oh, what did she do wrong? Because it's like, no, she's like hot, rich, famous, and perfect and smart. So he must not be a man. He must be insecure. It must be his fault. And I think she builds that situation purposefully, maybe subconsciously, mm. but I think she's the kind of person who wants to be always right and always perfect and that's why she's not actually that innocent Mm -hmm. and there is yeah there's like hints of that in the movie in fact like her husband's even like you always like have to be like the prettiest most like you're not like reacting to learning that i'm having an affair because like you can't be bought so is he having an affair oh hot take hot michael take I'm not one to be a Michael apologist, but uh, I, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. I, I, that was something that I remember being like presented more effectively in the book. Maybe there just wasn't enough mm-hmm. time for it in mm. the movie. It's already a two-hour movie. They didn't get too much into it, but I think yeah. in the credit sequence, they have a quick sneak peek about her running into Charlie, which is her ex. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the book, she's not having an affair, but she keeps talking to Charlie about how she thinks Michael's having an affair. Right. And it's like you're hiding the fact that you're talking to your ex mm-hmm. from your husband and this is your ex that you almost married so who is actively in love with you and who you know that like, which is she knows. not like covered in yeah. the movie at all yeah Astrid so she, I mean she, she doesn't really have as much to do no but I think she wants to be not wrong so I think she talks you know she'll, if she's talking to her ex who's in love with her complaining about her marriage she gets to then be the hero of that story to him right Hmm. She gets to be rescued, too. I appreciate her presence in the story. And I don't know if this was done purposefully or not by, like, the writer and the filmmakers. But her being in the story and making, like, forming a friendship with Rachel sort of balances out the antagonistic relationship that mm-hmm. she's having with Eleanor. So it, if you the only female relationship you saw in the movie was Rachel and Eleanor, we might be like, oh, that's... Like, there's other options. Um, but so. we get a lot. I mean, we get that relationship. We get her relationship with Aquafina's character. Mm-hmm. We get a relationship with her mom. Right, yeah. yeah. Whole spectrum of woman-on-woman so. woman interaction. 
But I think because she's like so rich and like, you know, this like high status woman, she could easily, you know, ignore or pay no mind to Rachel. But the fact that she's like, I'm going to make an effort to actually like be her friend, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is like maybe a conscious effort to be like, hey, look, rich people can be nice too. (laughs) But she cares a lot about her image. Like she invited Ama to the wedding after Michael left her so that nobody would wonder why Michael wasn't there. And that's why she walked in with Ama. That's why Ama says... That's why she says thank you to her ama when they're walking down and people are like, oh, she never comes. Oh. And so that's like a hint to like, How much this she girl cares, cares yeah. so much about image. She's like neglected her actual relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt yeah, the Michael Astrid storyline felt, I mean, I think it was just because it was like more addressed in the book. Mm-hmm. But like it, it felt it, it felt weird in the movie. A little bit where mm-hmm. it's like I in the movie I like felt for Michael a little bit where yeah. it was kind of like cut and dry in a movie that it does very well with a nuanced storyline there felt a little bit less like you cheated on me yes queen bye and <laughs> like that was kind of but I, I really enjoyed her her relationship with Rachel yeah. uh, that was like presented awesome and, and that scene with them on the beach and like where they're bonding and yeah. sad and you're like oh this is great and Astrid actually didn't want to go on the bachelorette uh, party trip because she right. says to Michael how would you feel if I like came and worked at the office and I was that was the scene where I was like oh this is like actually a real marriage this isn't just like a, some pretty thing because like right. she's offering to give up some like fabulous vacation time to spend time with her husband right. and so when she's on the vacation it, it very much feels like she's like giving up her husband and the trip itself was wasn't something that she really wanted to do. It was like right. a consolation prize. Mm-hmm. So like then when when Michael says that like she never loved him, I was like, well, dude, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, so I really do like Ash. I know I'm gonna be super hard on her, but because I, I like her and she's the one that I feel like. I'm the most aspirational to like I would love to be in her shoes but I also feel like I recognize her flaws of wanting to be this perfect image Mm -hmm. but I also don't think that relation her relationship with Rachel is all that innocent I think again her Mm. wanting to be high status draws her to Rachel because she can be the nice girl high status because Rachel is a commoner and so being around Rachel she's kind of like immune whereas if she gets involved with the girls she's not immune because they're of her level and so they can play caddy with her right too and she could get hurt and so I think that it was all very calculated and I think even her offering to help out at the office is calculated because it would be taken as an act of sacrifice and she wants everything she does to be recognized Mm -hmm. as an act of sacrifice (laughs) so I think I don't know like I I really like her but I also am really hard on her because I feel like she's like this embodiment of like the sort of Chinese need to succeed and be perfect but also being so privileged you don't see how you are privileged. I don't know. Right, like, she right. just isn't perfect. Well, the fact that you're able to say so much about her means that she's written in such a way that you can actually like <laughs> glean this kind of stuff mm-hmm. because so many female characters in movies are just like, we don't know anything about this yeah. person <laughs> or her personality or her background or anything like that. So the fact that she is presented with different, you know, choices and situations and that you are, you know, kind of reading. You're like, Also, she neglects her son. Mm. Yeah, like they yes. say, your son wants to see you, and she's like, okay, and then she's like, I'll read him some French, and it's like <laughs> a language he doesn't understand. Just, yeah. I mean, like she's like already trying to like make him into this 
perfect little international kit. It's like, mm-hmm. I think he just wants to spend time with you. Like, yeah. yeah. She was shopping all day. like Spending a million dollars on earrings? Come on. But also, I want her life. <laughs> In her I defense, love her those life. earrings were really nice. <laughs> really yeah. Cool. Should we talk about uh, Paiklin? Yeah. Aquafina. Love her. Yeah, I mean, she's like the kind of stock like comic relief best friend character as you see in many rom-coms they're like oh we're gonna hire a stand-up to do this part (laughs) yeah like yeah (laughs) her main contributions to the story i think are making sure that rachel looks the part basically Mm -hmm. so there is the scene early on where she gives her a dress to wear to the party at ama's house and then later there's the makeover scene. A yeah. lot of people tweeting at us about the makeover yes. scene. They're like, can't wait for the crazy rotations episode. Ooh. Comma. The, Talk about the makeover scene. Oh, no, the makeover scene. <laughs> this is, so. I mean, for me, this is just a trapping of the genre that mm-hmm. could have been avoided but wasn't. I don't know. I, don't know. I didn't hate it. I'll have a good montage. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it's like the thing about this particular makeover scene that wasn't, I don't know, like it, it didn't bother me where it our mentions got flooded about like red flag makeover scene, but the way this one is done, I I feel like if it's like, okay, we have to have a makeover scene, there has to be a montage scene, (laughs) whatever. Some good looks are seen, but it's not like the princess diaries makeover scene where it's like, you're becoming another person and we're stripping you of your identity. (laughs) Right. Uh, Which is what so many makeover scenes are coded as of like, you know, take off the glasses, lift up your tits, like the whole thing. You're not enough. You're not good enough. Right. Stop using three syllable words, like the whole thing. Like, (laughs) it's a personality makeover too where this was sort of just, I don't know, my reading was like, all right, you she know. just needs a nice dress for the wedding. Right, basically. that's right. true though. The whole thing is like you're not going to be enough, and she's like, "Just watch me become a different person." <laughs> right, right. But what if she just showed up in sweatpants? It was like, "I am enough. <laughs> I'm so enough that I'm going to scale back how enough I am." <laughs> she just Kanye's the entire wedding. I do. I well, so we'll talk about the makeover scene in a second, but I do kind of wish one of my issues with this movie is that i wish rachel who has a phd in economics who's an expert in game theory which admittedly i don't know what that is uh should have googled it but i literally have I no use idea game theory and dating all the time oh whoa you gotta use it it's all about are you a pickup artist cutting your did, losses no did you read the, the game it's just, <laughs> no i don't mean it that way but i'm your emotional losses oh okay it's not about like like trying to pick up people but it's like the Mm. game theory is just looking at all the options and deciding like all the outcomes and the worst and then going off of the worst okay instead of the best right so then the work if i hide how i feel the worst case scenario is i'm always going to be lying to myself so then no matter what even if you tell the truth and it hurts it's still better than the one where you're lying to yourself right that's how i use game theory okay got it interesting i should try that if i ever date again um so rachel is an econ professor so she knows about economics she surely knows that capitalism is maybe not the best thing so i what i wish for this movie is that she just did a little bit more to challenge just the extravagance and the ri- the wealth mm. and the, the opulence and all of that because i mean anyone who gets that rich has exploited people sure. they have probably not done some great things maybe and then doesn't seem like they're aside from astrid they don't seem to be that charitable they seem to just be kind of hoarding their wealth and buying these <laughs> huge 
like Aquafina, I think at one point says like that house is two hundred million dollars. Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I just wish that maybe in in a in a perfect world, Rachel would have been like, hey, you guys and all of your wealth, uh, gross. Like maybe share some of this. IDK. <laughs> anyway, um, basically, I, I wanted Rachel to be a socialist icon. So back to the makeover scene. So we talked in the I think it was the Aladdin episode. I think we we made the mistake of saying that it's kind of rare to see uh, a movie about a lower status or lower class woman getting together with a higher status guy, but that we that we weren't right about that. Um, <laughs> that, that myth was busted. Whoops. Um, <laughs> yeah, because there are plenty of movies like that. This Cinderella. one being one of them, Cinderella, mm. Pride and Prejudice, Made in She's Manhattan. All That, <laughs> Made in Manhattan, a true classic, um, <laughs> Pretty Woman, My Fair Lady. Flashdance, you know, there's kind of different examples. Mistakes were made. Coming to America. (laughs) Right. But in many of these examples, the woman does have to get a makeover or kind of lie about her status to be more appealing to the man. So in in Crazy Rich Asians, the makeover, as we said, isn't, it's literally just to be like, hey, or it's not even a makeover. It's it's a dress trying on montage. montage. Right. So that I can wear a nice dress to the wedding that I've been planning to go to. And it's not built around a lie. It's right, just exactly. That happens. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I need to make myself more physically appealing to the man so that he will realize that he loves me. But in movies where it's a like lower status man who ends up with an upper status woman, and we see that in things like Aladdin, Titanic, mm. obviously, Swish, <laughs> Swish, <laughs> um, The Notebook, Lady in the Tramp. Dirty dancing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Look, I'm not oh, wrong. Lenny in the Tramp. Yep. Love um, it. We see that like in Star Wars with like Han and Leia. Even like there's all, all these different examples. Usually in in those cases, the man doesn't really have to do much of anything to change. Rarely even changes his clothes. In Aladdin, yes, he becomes a prince, but that I think is kind of an but exception to the rule. The Beast mm-hmm. puts on that nice uh, suit, but he's already he's on he's the rich one. Gets, oh, true. He he's the, the uh, prince and. She, right. and oh, Belle she, is a commoner. He's the, yeah, he's the dog uh, prince. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I am prince of dogs. The, the dog prince coming to uh-huh. CBS this fall. <laughs> Honestly, wait, really quick side tangent. Has anyone ever seen the like network series from the late 80s about Beauty and the Beast? No. Oh, the one produced by G.R.R. Martin? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, it's Beauty and the Beast in late 80s New York City. Beauty oh is a high-powered lawyer. The Beast And is... she's Linda Hamilton. Yes! She's <laughs> what? The Beast Terminator. is her boyfriend. The Beast is, what's his name? Oh my the god. The guy from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, I can't yes. remember. Huh. Wait, uh, Ron, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman is oh, Hellboy. Yeah. So it's like Hellboy, Terminator, Kaboy. <laughs> it is. I won't say it's a good show. I'll say it is a wild ride, and I highly recommend it. He lives in a lair underneath the city. So Linda Hamilton's forced to come see him whenever she has trouble with a case. And he's, he's like growling amongst his books. <laughs> he's just like, oh, oh, let me help you with this case. This is, a is he a man or a beast? Like, you no, know, he's a beast. He's a beast. He's an actual beast. It yeah. feels like such a weird, like. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like a furry picture. entry. <laughs> it feels like so such like a focus crazy. group workshop show. Of like, okay. No. People like beauty and oh. the beast. People like lawyers. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, People no. like New York City. <laughs> I just have to remind everyone that without that furry Beauty and the Beast, we would not have Game of Thrones because that's where G.R.R. Yeah. Martin got to start. Mm, <laughs> it is. Wow. Oh, so just a quick hot ref. For Thank you so much. The 1987 huh. Beauty and the Beast TV series. Oh, no. It's real. It, it, like, it's he real looks thing. like the Grinch. He does. <laughs> <laughs> the Beast looks very uh, Uncanny Valley <laughs> in this show. Anyways, what a time so, to be alive. To, to, <laughs> to close the book on the dress mm-hmm. montage scene, um, I didn't hate it. it. It's, I think, there because you can't have a, a romantic movie mm-hmm. without people trying on different clothes. But I think because it's unlike many movies where we see a lower status woman having to basically change everything about herself in mm-hmm. order to be usually physically appealing to the man because so much of women's worth is attached to their looks unfortunately so for a woman in many of these movies to be even a viable romantic option she has to take off her disgusting glasses (laughs) and get rid of her horrible ponytail and put on rich people clothes so that doesn't really happen in this movie. It's really just her trying on some dresses. Could the movie have done without it? Sure. It's not a cornerstone plot yeah. point of the film. So it easily could have been gotten rid of and the movie would essentially be no different. Uh, well, now that we're talking about it, I almost feel like maybe it is included because this is a romantic comedy and that is such a familiar scene in that genre and so maybe it's just like the movie's way of being like okay here's this scene but it's not there's not the same implied toxicity that this scene would normally have true well before that scene rachel says to peckling she's thinking about not going to the wedding Mm. so the scene sort of serves i think as like a supportive scene from her friends like that we're kind of arming you for the battle of this wedding like this wedding is the thing that you came to singapore for and so the clothes are like almost like a symbol of how to get ready for something as big as this Mm -hmm. which is kind of nice you know it's it's really it's like about her community helping her right and that scene is part of a larger kind of sequence where before that they're Mm -hmm. like eating dinner and Piglin is basically like gearing her up to be like you have to like you have to challenge this woman like you need to show her Mm -hmm. that she that you're like a fighter that you are enough uh there's that whole like bok bok thing and then she, she says, worn a chicken suit. That so funny. <laughs> to the wedding? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. chicken. Bok, bok, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of that scene, Rachel's like, what are you doing tonight? She's like, I don't know. I'm probably just hanging out at FedEx. <laughs> Which is that. the funniest. Right. That's the kind of shit I would say. I was like, what are you doing? Uh, I got I to do my, send the mail. It <laughs> doesn't take all night. Right. <laughs> But I gotta psych myself up to do it. And, uh, I might not even leave my bed because it's so stressful thinking about FedEx. Um, it was great. And then in the aftermath of the wedding is Paglin again being a very supportive friend, and mm-hmm. you know she goes to stay with her. I really like that friendship and how that all plays out. Yeah. So makeover scene, you know, it's it's there. It's not the worst example we've ever seen. No, definitely so. not. When did you guys first cry in this movie? <gasps> okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> we are coming off of a... When I saw Henry Golding. 
What? <laughs> when I saw Henry Gold's <laughs> ass. His ass. Really, yeah. really, really, really early. It's not great ass. There, yeah. there are quite a few, like, kind of female gaze shots in this mm-hmm. movie where, like, yeah. when Michael's yeah. taking a shower and you're just like, oh, yeah. It's like, no, but I love that because, like, Asian men, I feel like, often are desexualized in Hollywood. Yeah. For, so for I think sure. they made a point to, re- like, almost so much where you're like, ah, we get it. But they, like, really linger on makeout scenes to be yeah. like, look, these are sexual beings. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Asian people where do you think they come from sex (laughs) well it's also a trope in Asian dramas there's always a shower scene to introduce a male love interest in the Asian drama there's always like gratuitous showering you're just like okay (laughs) I've seen it all (laughs) so it's like a nice nod to that yeah I didn't know that that's awesome so my okay we're coming off of our Mamma Mia episode Mm -hmm. in which I talk a lot about how I'm not a huge fan of wedding culture. Mm -hmm. I, you know, don't like a whole lot of what weddings are about. The wedding scene in this movie made me cry. Yeah, (laughs) each time I saw each of the three times I saw it. It's really whenever the lights go down. Yes, like the illuminated little—is it like fireflies Uh or kind of—and then it's. It's, it's so beautiful. This whole yeah. movie is very beautiful. When it so where really gets me, I know it's crazy. She's I was like walking about down wet the river. Vax, that whole <laughs> scene. I was just like the number of wet vacs taken to this room afterwards. It's when Nick mouths mm-hmm. "I love yeah. you" yeah. and she mouths it back, and I was just like, yeah. "Oh my god!" <laughs> I've never cried at a wedding in real life. I've never cried at a wedding scene in any movie ever until this one, and I just don't know who I am anymore. So, I cried a lot in the mom scenes. Mm. I cried at the wedding, but I was also thinking about wet facts about 50 50. <laughs> I was like, I want to see the scene of the poor people who have to clean this fucking wedding up. All the PAs. So much. Like, yeah. there's just so. Or, like, in the world, in the movie, like, the janitorial staff who are like, oh, sure. Well, good for them. Like, and have to, like, fire up their wet facts. Uh, would see that short film. But, anyways, cried at the scene at the end between Rachel and her mom and her mom mm-hmm. when just even when her mom showed up i was like yeah. mom and man yeah mom scenes make me cry yeah, mine yeah, was yeah. uh at the very end when eleanor gives her that look it's like barely an acknowledgement but there's like just so much in that moment or i was just like ah yeah they get it oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i was all in i really liked the restraint that that scene showed too because mm-hmm. it could have been like they met up again oh i'm so sorry for being such a bitch <laughs> oh it's okay thank you for accepting me into your family and it's like none of that happened none of that needed to happen yeah. that like class and I always cry at this the, the version of this scene as well where it's like you are my daughter now <laughs> and then I'm like ah <laughs> but there, you're right there is a ton of restraint in that yeah. scene and it is communicated with a look which mm-hmm. is nice yeah. yeah is there anything else uh, anyone uh, wants to say about the movie mm. not too late to cast me in the sequel it yeah, sure is should definitely be in the sequel say <laughs> to you too yeah. I'll be pickling um. <laughs> So the only white people you see in this movie who have lines are being racist, um, <laughs> which is the British guys. Yeah, the, yeah. the British guys at the hotel at the beginning, except for the, uh, one white guy comes in and he's all like, Eleanor, my friend here, let me sell you my hotel. So oh, yeah. he's being nice. But other than that, really, the only white people you see are either being racist or They are kind of just in the background, sort of the scenery of the movie, much like 
people of color usually are in most movies. So it's really refreshing. Yeah, to... we're so racist in other movies. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, minorities get to embody racism in movies. That's usually their role. Right, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, this is a movie where white people are treated the same way that people of color normally are in white stories. So that was a great kind of reversal. There was like an article that said early on when they were adapting the script, a producer asked Kevin if uh, he would consider making Rachel white. And he's like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) How would that (laughs) be like a white girlfriend and going to see this crazy rich Asian world? (laughs) So glad they didn't do that. God. That's so infuri- Of course someone would be like, hey, just throwing this out there. Have you thought about Emma Stone? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians. Alternatively, maybe oh Scarlett Johansson's yeah, around. Matt Damon and... might be free. Be like a gay love story. The Holy Trinity. Um, Asian American actors. So, oh, God. Um, there's also been some um, criticism about the erasure of South Asian people. Uh, I don't know exactly population-wise what they comprise in Singapore, but we do see, like, a few brown people. Yeah, the like, guards. Yeah. yeah. But that makes sense to me because the world, like, again, I don't think this world is uh, free of criticism. Like, they're these yeah. really rich, privileged people. But I think their world is really elitist. Right. So they probably do have a class thing. Yeah. Right. And I feel like tonally, it would be nice to see more movies about that, but tonally it would have been weird if we then saw, I don't know, the the workers or something and just like a serious scene about how it's really hard and the (laughs) The youngs have oppressed us for decades. I feel like it would have just totally Give me my wet vaccine. (laughs) I want my wet vaccine. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do see the market mm -hmm. and there Mm -hmm. is more diversity there. True. Yeah. I mean, if if anything, no movie is impervious to criticism, but that to me would just indicate, okay, so we need more movies uh, showing a wider range of different types of Asian people. Right. Um... All right. Well, should we should we determine whether or not the movie passes the Bechdel test? Yes. Yes, we should. And yes, it does. A million billion times. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, I stopped counting. Right. There's a lot of different combinations. Um, Rachel and Araminta, uh, Rachel and Piquin, Rachel and her mom, Rachel and Eleanor. Although I would say the vast majority of conversations between women are about Nick. Mm-hmm. Or the subtext is knit. Or I mean, that gets tricky. Yeah. For example, like when Araminta is like, hey, come to my bachelorette party. And Rachel's like, I'd love to. Does that pass the Bechdel test? Because they don't specifically say a man's name. But she's saying, hey, come to the party that celebrates me being single before I marry a man. Right. Kind of thing. I mean, we, mm. can, fall, we can fall down that rabbit hole all <laughs> sure. damn day. <laughs> right. Um, but there are, like, whenever Rachel's like, Caitlin, you have a cocktail dress in your trunk. And she's like, yeah, I'm not an animal. That passes the Bechdel test. What are you doing tonight? I don't know. Going to FedEx (laughs) or something is my favorite pass of the movie. (laughs) You're like, wow, okay, cool. And her and the uh, princess talk about something in the front. Oh, yeah. They they talk about microloans and how how giving women microloans uplifts the economy. So feminist icon, princess, uh, whatever her name was. She had a name, and therefore it passes. Yeah, uh, yeah, it passes a bunch of times. And and like we were saying, speaking to just like the way women are 
portrayed. I mean, we see a lot of different types of relationships between women, which mm-hmm. is good for any movie. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. And a lot of twins. So. And, and a lot, lot of twi- twin, twin representation, twin. all time high. <laughs> oh, I remember the one thing I didn't say that was in the book that wasn't in the movie. Was oh, yeah. One, so the, she has three Pekingese dogs. Uh, in the movie, I don't remember what the first one was called, but it's like uh, Rockefeller and Vanderbilt. But the third one in the book is named Trump. <laughs> no! <laughs> and they changed it <laughs> for the movie. Well, they do say, like, Paiklin says, yeah, like, my mom, like, designed her house after Donald Trump's bathroom. Yeah, that was yeah. funny. A funny yeah. But they, I think they were like, we shouldn't have this dog in 2018 named Trump. <laughs> it's yeah. so crazy because the book was written five years ago. And yeah. Already, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Dystopia. Oh, boy. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's read the movie on a nipple scale. Yeah. Where we rate based on its portrayal and representation of women, zero to five nipples. Did you feel like how women are exist in, in Chinese culture was represented accurately by this movie or were there blind spots that were like missed because that was the one I mean when I was thinking about my rating I'm like I just like I have lower knowledge of like is this an accurate representation of women in this culture I think yeah. they had a lot of different kinds of women in mm-hmm. this culture too and uh, in the movie which I liked I mean mm-hmm. Rachel's the classic like a uh, high achieving Asian American her mom is you know like an immigrant that came up through her own education and then there's the very wealthy people I would say there weren't enough average Asian representation, like people who are mediocre. (laughs) There were extraordinary Asians represented, so that was fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I I would say overall did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that. They could probably put like a a gay girl in there or something. Yeah, a gay guy. But they also didn't explicitly say who's gay. I feel like it was implied. So I feel like it's still very much a broad comment. they say it? No, they say rainbow sheep, but it's all implied. Okay. Coded gay characters, man. Mm-hmm. Right. We gotta say it. Yeah. I, well, the thing with Oliver's character is, and I, well, listeners, if we have any, you know, queer li- listeners that want to weigh in about this Oliver character, I think because he identifies himself as the rainbow sheep of the family, I think that's, to me, that's identifying himself as being queer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even know if he's coded queer. I think he's like pretty explicitly that way. He just, he doesn't like scream, I'm gay. But, he, you know, <laughs> right. by him saying rainbow sheep of the family, I think that's him identifying himself as queer. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if he sort of falls into sort of a trope queer character, especially a gay man who loves fashion and is like mm. all about like, look at your earrings and look at your shoes and yeah. your dress and like... So I also, the Vito Russo test came to mind where it's like, okay, is there identifiably queer characters in the story? Would removing them have an impact on the story? I would argue with his character, it wouldn't make that much of a difference. And that Mm. Picklin would basically take over whatever. Mm -hmm. And again, that was another thing where I'm like, this is more of a failure of this genre that this movie doesn't correct, per se. Yeah, but I also think it's a little bit like, culturally like that's probably part that if they started talking about it would just be its own movie but like i do Mm -hmm. think he i don't know how accepting his family is of him being gay so maybe that is one of the reasons he's kind of marginalized in the story Mm -hmm. and also maybe indirectly like to the main arc as well yeah right and just like mainstream movies are still so hesitant to like have out characters right i don't know like rainbow sheep i do i i I agree that is identifying as queer but it's just like i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) it's still Still felt a little bit tropey yeah for sure so then i guess for my rating i'm gonna give it a four and a half i mean just the obvious 
wonderful that this movie exists in terms of its representation hope to see many more movies like this to come hopefully this is the beginning of a large trend of seeing many more asian characters represented on screen many more asian stories mainstream hollywood stories i think that the female characters who we do get to know which there are quite a few Mm -hmm. uh are developed well they're written carefully we are given much more context and background for most of them than we're usually afforded in most movies i do wish that rachel was a socialist and that she was um, <laughs> i wish she smashed the hammer invited people to a dsa meeting <laughs> no nah, she probably goes to brunch <laughs> brunch dsa is such a thing <laughs> Um, such as amazing but yeah and i I like that this movie doesn't adhere to a lot of the tropes of a rom-com and maybe because it's not even really a rom-com like it's not about the pursuit and the developing of that romantic relationship it's a (laughs) (laughs) mom-com but yeah i think i would say most of the characters are developed well written responsibly Hurrah. Four and a half nips. Who are you giving them to? I'm going to give two to Aquafina. I'm going to give two to Constance Wu. And I'll give my half nip to Oliver because I like his character too. I'm going to give this a, a 4.25. All right. <laughs> Precise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just feel like can't get, give 100% or then we'll feel like satisfied with ourselves and stop making movies. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta keep, you know, you gotta have a little bit of aspirational growth. It's the sure. Asian way. Um, <laughs> yeah, back I mean, with I the game like, theory. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like it was a really strong story, like really well written. All the women had agency. I, I mean, obviously it's about love, so it's still gonna go back down to the idea of like being with a man. But you know, mm. it works with any. You know, didn't have to be a man. It's Mm-hmm. any relationship is hard and meeting the family is conflict and it's all about sacrifice so i didn't think him being a man and like controlling her life was so central to right the plot. and he wasn't asking to control her life too which is yeah nice for sure yeah. um so yeah so i high, high score uh <laughs> and also because rachel's like uh you know i don't know she, she's just like me privileged bitch who are you giving your nips to um yeah i'll give uh let's see i'll give i'll give two to constance woo i'll give one to aquafina can i give one to the soundtrack i really like the soundtrack. Oh, go mm-hmm. for it yeah. okay i'm gonna give one to the soundtrack great soundtrack and then i'll give <laughs> I'll give the quarter to the director. I feel like he did a good job of realizing the, a well-rounded vision. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. So I'm I'm going to be five nipples because everyone should see this movie again next weekend. Yes. <laughs> Trying to promote it as much as I can. Who would I give nipples to? I, I would give two to Adelaide Lim, the writer. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there was such great um, cultural stuff uh, that she did. One to Constance Wu, one to Eleanor, uh, one to, I'm sorry, Michelle Yeoh, the, mm. the goddess oh, Michelle Yeoh. Yes. She's amazing. And then uh, I would agree with Teresa, one to the soundtrack as well, because I think the soundtrack did this really good job of showing like the cultural dissonance of being Chinese and American, and it kind of gave that to the white audience because it was familiar, but it was different at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I thought it did a great job. Wait, I want to take back one of my nips from Constance and give it to Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> 
tough luck, Constance. <laughs> Maybe next time. Go back to your syndicated show. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go four and a half. I really like this movie. I, I'm excited to see it again. Like, knowing everything we've talked about, it's, like, mm-hmm. cool to, I don't know, just, like, I feel like it'll be a slightly different, more informed viewing, which I'm excited for. The only half nip I'm docking it for is the times it falls into the rom-com tropes mm-hmm. that I don't love as much, the creepy brother trope, the mm-hmm. d- the few things. And I just wish that, and this is, again, a genre thing, but, like, I wish that Picklin had more of an arc herself other than getting to see cool rich people stuff uh she's already rich (laughs) right right where it's like she i I felt there were like there was room in Mm. the story for her to have a small arc of her own and that character for whatever reason just didn't have it and aquafina is amazing in every scene and can do more so i would have liked to to see her Mm -hmm. be you know allowed to do more as a you know comic relief character as well Anyways, four and a half, giving two to Michelle Yeoh, because I love her, uh, giving one to Constance, give one to Aquafina, and I'll just toss my last half one out to uh, Jimmy O. Yang, who we didn't mention the whole damn time. <laughs> Bernard Ty, he wears shiny underwear. That's what we know about him. It's what we know. <laughs> and he gets my half nip. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Teresa and Sita. What a treat. What a treat <laughs> it's been. Thank, Thank you for, for having us. This was so fun. Uh, would you like to plug anything? Where can people follow you on the Oh, line? sure. Watch, I have a podcast, uh, which you guys both have been on. It's called yes. You Can Tell Me Anything. So you guys should check it out. Ch- checked it out. <laughs> check it out. Yeah. People confess secrets to me. So that's on, on the podcast places. Yay. It's great. And where can people follow you on? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Larissa T. L-E-R-E-S-A-T-E-E. Nice. Perfect. And I'm on Twitter as Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. And I run a monthly show, Interior Define, which is a couch store. <laughs> but oh, hell yeah. you can come and enjoy the couches and the store feeds you wine and pizza. So Very that's nice. amazing. Look out for it on my Twitter. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, you can find us on the Bechtelcast at Bechtelcast on all of the things. If you have any thoughts on this episode, on this movie, we always love to hear from you. We have a Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, <laughs> at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, and uh, where we do two bonus episodes a month. This comes out in... Uh, very end of August. So end of August. Okay, you've so, already heard our Doubt episode. So we're closing out Jamie's B Day month. Doubt and Hackers comes out. <laughs> <laughs> the real the feminist uh, text Hackers, nineteen ninety five, with Matthew Lillard topless. Um, <laughs> also, uh, don't forget to go to our website bechtelcast.com and there you can access our T Public store where we have all of our freaking merch. Get your feminist icon t-shirts. Get your queer icon t-shirts. Get your Alfred Molina feminist icon t-shirts. <laughs> Get your cat facts with Caitlin. There were no cats in this movie, but just a reminder no cats that cats do have eight nipples and that's cat facts with Caitlin. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got clothes, we've got mugs, we've got wall art. So get whatever your, that means. <laughs> get whatever that is and hang it on your wall. 
Also, if you live in the Los Angeles area, we are doing a live show in LA on September 15th at 9 p.m. It's at a venue called The Ruby on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. We are talking about Edward Scissorhands and our guest is Maggie Mae Fish. So if you go to our website, Bechtelcast.com, and you click on the live appearances tab, you'll be able to find the link to get tickets. So come check us out September 15th, 9 p.m. We will see you there. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Go see this movie. Yes, please. Bye. 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 Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it! That's really it! And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.